0: Yes, beautiful music. I actually put a post up on Eurofolk Radio. Let me um, access it real quick here. It's Try That in a Small Town Reactions and uh, some uh, country western pop artists, because country and western pop and rock they're all the same these days. Uh, he wrote a song called, Jason Aldean is his name, he wrote a song called Try That in a Small Town. It's number one on iTunes, but it's being censored by the country music of people. It's being censored by Juno, you know who, et cetera, et cetera. And so, because it is in fact a good old-fashioned protest song. Remember the '60s? You don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. Well, that song was banned too. I mean, talk about tame stuff, right? Yeah, we're on eve of destruction. How can you deny it, right? Here we are four, 40 years later and a lot closer. I think we can count the, well, it's 11.59. And we've got 60 seconds left before the Judgment Day. So prepare yourselves, folks. Prepare yourselves. Anyway, the two uh, reaction videos are one by a black guy who says, you know, this song has been called racist by just about everybody. So he watches the video, and then after the video is over, he say, what's all the fuss about? I don't see this as racist. I think this is patriotic. This is small-town America. This is home, family. A wonderful reaction by the black guy, and then a very similar reaction by a Puerto Rican guy who says the same thing. Hey, this is patriotism. This is against the Jew world. Oh, he doesn't say Jew world order, but he mentions George Soros. Hey, that this is a protest song against the New World Order. So these these are tremendous signs that the world is waking up. The Rothschild mind-control gambit against us is losing. We're winning. There's all kinds of signs that we are winning this battle, folks. Welcome to Eurofolk Radio. And, of course, the my theme song here for Voice of Christian Israel is uh, you know, by... Uh, Wishbone Ash, I Have to Be a Warrior, A Slave I Cannot Be. That is a protest song also. uh, They were uh, pretty much of an unknown band, even though they came out in the early 70s. A fantastic band. Uh, Just as good as Led Zeppelin or any other band in the world. Uh, Excellent musicians, singers, songwriters, etc., But, you know, really good music gets suppressed, especially if it's patriotic, and especially if it exposes the Jew world order. So, welcome. This is Your Folk Radio. This is Voice of Christian Israel. And today's subject is actually going to be a continuation of what I started last night. I really started something last night, folks. I started the expose of the anti-Yahwist movement in the world, primarily here in America, but also within the confines of non seedline identity. There are a lot of non seedliners who don't want to look at the facts of the, the letter J, how the Jews are actually suppressing the sacred names. The Jews are the ones who took the name of Yahweh out of the Bible and replaced it with L O R D, don't you know? Okay, this should be commonly known information but uh, because the non-seedliners aren't interested in this sort of thing. They, you know, they're, they're good on the racial uh, separation thing. They're good on, I wouldn't say great, on Jacob Esau, but we are here at Eurofolk Radio just lay it on the line, the, the racial truth, no holds barred, no punches held back, bam, right in the mouth. That's where you're getting, you're getting bam, right in the mouth. So I put this... Let me uh, copy it again because I don't think I got it into the uh, telegram chat room. This is entitled The Mistaken J. It's an article that I read in the early 80s. I think uh, I even used some of it in the great impersonation uh, describing why the name of Yahweh is the correct pronunciation, and the correct name of our creator. And that his son's name is Yahshua, meaning Yahweh saves. These are things that every identian should know. It should be, it should roll off the tip of our tongues like, uh, Oh, I was born in the land of cotton, good time there, and I've forgotten. Look away, look away. It should roll off of our tongues just like that, folks, just like that. But we forget our heritage. We get caught up in the modern world. We get caught up in the disputations, and we believe Jewish lies. That's the real problem that our people have. Our people are still believing Jewish lies, even in the identity movement. So as a continuation of this show that I started about the anti-Yahwist movement, that's on Restoration Hour, I highly encourage you to listen to the whole thing. It's a 90-minute show. And today is just going to be a continuation of the same theme, but material that I won't be presenting on my uh, series on Restoration Hour. That's going to be a long series because I'm going to be going through biblical history and linguistic history. It's going to be mainly about linguistics and how we Israelites, especially we Identians, need to know our terminology. We need to know words and how they've been distorted by the perfidious Jew. We can't just accept the fact that that the word Jew is in the King James Version, that that's really who it refers. It's not referring to Jews. In the Old Testament, it refers to Judahites. In the New Testament, it refers to Judeans as citizens of a country, not as a racial group as Judah, although it it does mean that if you read it correctly. But uh, uh, the Greek word Judeos does not mean the same as the Hebrew word Yehudi or Yehudim or Judah Simply, it has not the same meaning. One is a racial term. The other is a residential term or citizenship term. I live in a country called American. I'm an American in that sense. But I'm also a white American, which means I'm an original American, the true American in the original sense, because the early Americas only accepted white people as citizens. Okay? How we have changed, and who changed it? We need to know this history and how these changes came about, And that is one of the most important themes of the identity movement is to understand how these changes came about. Who created these changes and why? And this is why we are suffering so much. So I'm putting the link into the uh, Telegram chat room right now. And let me put it into the uh, Eurofolk radio chat room real quickly as well. So this is called the Mistaken J-J. And it's a pamphlet that's been around for quite some time. And here it is. I hope it it doesn't always post correctly. And the, there it is. Okay. The Mistaken J. Okay. Uh, huh. Mr. Kim Smith. He's the singer that was performing on stage during the Las Vegas shooting. Wow. Amazing. Maybe he took that shooting personally. Maybe it's because he's one of those racist Country and Western singers. <laughs> Maybe he's he's getting back at them, right? Okay, very good, very good, folks. The mistaken J. Here we go. This is linguistic studies. The mistaken J. From a group in Missouri. They're a Missouri. Uh, identity group, their their, uh, listing is on the bottom. Unlike the author of the anti-Yahwist paper that we talked about last night, uh, they have a name, and they give their name and contact information. They're very upfront about it. The mistaken J, here we go. Often heard in the churches of our land is the refrain sung by the Savior, there's something about that name. In our English-speaking world, we have been taught that the saving name of the Redeemer of Israel is Jesus. So accepted is this name that few stop to consider its authenticity. But the truth is, there is indeed something about that name. That something is the inescapable fact that the Savior's name is not Jesus and never was. What's more, the name of the Heavenly Father is not Jehovah. That's a Jewish construct also invented in the Middle Ages a designation that is only five centuries old. Churchianity has has so thoroughly immersed the world in the error of this tradition for the past 500 years that few even think to research the matter or to consider the consequences of calling on the wrong name. As a result, most continue believing that the Hebrew Savior is called by a wrong name, by a Latinized Greek name, That could not possibly have existed at the time he walked on the earth. It's a name that would have been completely foreign to him and to the apostles. Okay. And I have challenged non-seedliners about this issue. And told them that, that the apostles and Yahshua spoke Aramaic and or Greek in those days. They did not speak English. The apostles would not have called him Jesus. Absolutely no way would they have called him Jesus. And I never get any response from these people. They don't like it when they're challenged on a false belief. But we'll straighten them out. By the way, let me first go into the concept of transliteration. Transliteration is not the same as translation. Translation is when you take... An, ob, uh, a, an object language, or a subject language, the language, the original language, and translate it into an object language, which means you have to adjust for a modern grammar of the object language, uh, words, phrases, uh, idioms. There's a lot that goes into translating from one language to the. It's a very difficult and arduous process to do uh, correct translations. Transliteration, however, is a definition here from vocabulary.com. Transliteration is the process of transferring a word from the alphabet of one language to another. Transliteration helps people to pronounce words and names in foreign languages. So, the word Jesus is thrice transliterated. First, it had to be taken from the Aramaic or Hebrew and translated into Greek. The result of that transliteration, which is only an attempt to pronounce the name, to pronounce the name in the new language. It has nothing to do with definition. It's only a matter of pronunciation. And that word is Jesus. Y-E-S-U-S. It was never Jesus. It was Jesus. It happened the same way into Latin. It's still Jesus. In Spanish, however, it's Jesus. And in German, it's still Jesus. Okay? And I think uh, uh, Michael Swede, I, I think, he answered a question this morning. It's Jesus in uh, Swedish as well. These languages never picked up the J sound that we have today, which has only existed in our language for not even 500 years. Okay? So, it says, unlike translation, which tells you the meaning of a word that's written in another language, a transliteration only gives you an idea of how the word is pronounced by putting it in a familiar alphabet. So, the meaning of Yahweh saves as Yahshua, that's the meaning of the Hebrew Aramaic Yeshua. It means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. The word Jesus does not have any meaning. The meaning was not carried over into English, and the English speakers don't even know that Jesus' true name is Yahshua. They don't know that. They think Jesus is the only name by which you can be saved, but that's not his real name. That's a transliteration from the Greek and Aramaic. So, let me repeat. A transliteration only gives you an idea of how the word is pronounced by putting it in a familiar alphabet. It changes the letters from the word's original alphabet to similar-sounding letters in a different one. In Hebrew, the, the Judahite winter holiday is Hebrew, which I can't read. Its English transliteration is Hanukkah or Hanukkah. So apparently whoever posted this was a Jew, okay, to give a Jewish example. All right, is there anything the Jews don't control? It's amazing, absolutely amazing. So let's get into the document. Christianity has so thoroughly immersed the world in an error, in the error of this tradition, for the past 500 years that few think to research the matter or to consider the consequences of calling on the wrong name. Now, let me just interject here. Uh, If you still insist on using the name Jesus or Jesus or Jesus, which are all modern renditions of the original name, go for it. As long as by that name you mean the Son of God, Yahshua of the New Testament, profusely prophesied in the Old Testament. Eminent French historian, scholar, and archaeologist Ernest Renan acknowledges that the Savior was never in his lifetime called Jesus. In his book, The Life of Jesus, Renan doubts that the Savior even spoke Greek. Greek was mostly the language of business and commerce in cosmopolitan circles, and Uh, Latin was just coming into, into the area of Jerusalem because of the Roman invasion. As for the father's name, the hybrid Jehovah came into existence through the ignorance of Christian writers who did not understand the Old Testament Hebrew. Credit for the error is given to Petrus Galatinus, confessor to Pope Leo X in the 16th century. My understanding is different that the Word Jehovah is a Jewish invention where the Jewish rabbis inserted the the, uh, letters, uh, sorry, the vowels of Adonai into Yahweh because they wanted to distort the name of Yahweh in whatever way they could. So they created this hybrid word called Jehovah, and it's quite likely that this Petrus character picked up on that Jewish transliteration or Jewish misspelling misspelling of the holy name. Okay. Now, that, that was Petrus Galatinus. Modern scholarship recognizes Yahshua as the best rendition for the name of the Savior, while Yahweh is the closest transliteration of the, for the name of the Creator as found in ancient scriptural manuscripts. And we here at Eurofolk Radio have been posting numerous videos of how the sacred name in Paleo-Hebrew has been discovered In one inscription after another in the ancient world, it's always Y-H-W-H-No-J, as this article is going to prove to you. In returning as nearly as we can to the Bible's original language and meaning, we come to a deeper and more accurate understanding of the truths contained within it. As we will learn, the Father and Son's revealed personal names are the foundation on which other vital salvation truths rest. The very name, Salvation, is Yahshua. It was not without reason that Yahweh established the foundation of the Ten Commandments with the clear declaration of his sacred name, I, Yahweh, am your Elohim, Exodus 22. Our Savior, as well, opened his model prayer with the words, Hallowed be thy name, our Father. Now, the article I was quoting from last night, the author, the anti-Yahuist, insists that Yahweh should be pronounced Jesus. But even Jesus says, I come in my Father's name. If he is the one being referred to, he would have said, I come in my own name. My name is Jesus too. (laughs) He didn't say that. He said, I come in my Father's name. Don't be fooled by false translations and or transliterations. You have to know your languages. Ironically, ironically, ladies and gentlemen, the founding fathers of this country, like Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Samuel Adams, uh, the whole slew of them, they were fluent in Hebrew and Greek. They read Hebrew and Greek documents and Latin also. They knew more about language than any any college graduate today, and certainly more than any theological school, cemetery graduate that uh, winds up occupying a pulpit these days. They knew these things better than the modern world. That's why the Constitution of the United States is such a fabulous document. Actually, most of all, all the laws declared in the U.S. Constitution are, are come from the Old Testament uh, commandments and ordinances. I've done shows on that too, proving that. Okay, let's continue. So modern scholarship is virtually, not only is, if, if it exists at all, it's not very good. But there is an emerging group of people, such as the archaeologists rediscovering the name of Yahweh, who are, they use the name of Yahweh because that's what they see written there. They know these old languages as moderns don't. They have studied these things. And they all conclude that the correct pronunciation is Yahweh and that the Tetragrammaton is pronounced Yahweh with some minor variations here and there. Some people throw an extra syllable and say Yahowa. But I think that's based on this false uh, definition or transliteration called Jehovah. Because they think Jehovah is the uh, real name. No, it's, it's not Jehovah. It's Yahweh. Okay, so they add an extra O in Jehovah. Okay, fine and good. You pronounce it however you like. As long as you're worshiping that covenant God, the one who made the covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the rest of us, and don't confuse him with a Jewish God, as most of these people do. Okay. We have to keep our terminology accurate to avoid confusion. And there are very, very few people in the modern world, certainly in Judeo-Christianity, who have this down. They simply, well, they they see the word Jew in the Bible. Well, it must mean Jew. That must be what the Judahites called themselves. No, they did not call themselves Jews. They never used that term because it did not exist in those days. They were Yahuda or Yehudim for the plural. That's what they were, okay? And our people, because we should be, yeah, we need to keep bruising their head. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it also sounds like Zeus, Jesus, right? That's in the Latin and the Greek. And that's how it sounds in German, too. It sounds like Jesus or yeah, it's, it's a softer, it's a softer than a Z, however, a Jesus, but it does come close to a Z, okay? Jesus, I think Jesus in the Greek, Jesus in the Latin also, but when uh, we pronounce it in English, it sounds more like Jesus, but it has nothing to do with the god Zeus. A lot of pagans say, oh, we actually worship the god Zeus. You know, Jesus is actually the son of Zeus. No, no, no. That's just a coincidence of grammar, folks. Yeah. Brother Abraham says, but my Bible says his name is Jesus. Don't confuse me with the facts. Sorry, brother, I have to do this. I have to I have to whip you with a wet noodle. <laughs> Sussex man says, Constantine's middle name was Jesus who set up the Antichrist religion <laughs> there you, Yeah well Antichrist the uh, Antichrist that's correct spelling Sussex man ANTE Antichrist the the actual word antichrist even in the Greek means to stand in the place of not necessarily to be against. In other words, you're pretending to be that person. The Catholic Church pretended to be. The, uh, you know, the authority of Yahshua Messiah. They pretended to have that same authority, which, of course, is a lie. A damnable lie. Well, of course, the, the Jews do the same thing with their Talmud. Okay, they stand in the place of Yahweh. And the Judeo-Christians stand in the place of Yahshua. That's the situation we have today. So, hallowed be thy name. What is thy name? Well, it's not Jesus. He would have said, hallowed be my name. If he meant to say that, Yahweh devoted the third commandment to warn of the sin of taking his name in vain, a meaning that includes bringing his name to uselessness. Well, when you use it as a swear word, fortunately our people use God as a swear word, not Yahweh. Maybe maybe that's a good thing as has been done for centuries, Exodus 22 and 7. Our Redeemer's name is critically important as well, or else our Creator would not have inspired the writer of Acts to proclaim, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, among Adamites, whereby we must be saved, XX412. And of course, this is exclusive language. It's only talking to our race, not to all races. Back to the basic truths of the Bible. It should be evident to anyone that through time and tradition, observances change, are added, and also lose some of what they first had. This is especially true of the worship originally practiced in the Bible. Our primary goal as true worshipers should be to return to fundamental truths. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. But it's the modernists who have changed it all through false translations and through sleight of hand by replacing words like Judah with Jew and words like Ethnos with Gentile. Shouldn't this be the desire of every sincere Bible believer to worship in all truth? Why go only halfway? Or put another way, why continue worshiping partly in error? Jude 3 speaks directly to us. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. There were only Hebrew saints in those days, folks, Hebrew and Israelite saints, some of whom lived into New Testament times. This original faith as practiced in the early New Testament assembly, and that's the correct word, Ecclesia is assembly, not church. Is being restored now, just before the, the word church is actually a pagan word from the uh, G- Gaelic. I think it's Gaelic kirk, kirk. It's not a it's not a biblical word. Kirk is not a biblical word. It's it's uh, ecclesia. Just before the Savior, uh, okay. The assembly is being restored now, just before the Savior Yahshua, returns to earth. Thank you very much. Acts three twenty one say that heaven must receive the Savior until the time of restitution of all things. Restitution is the Greek ap- apokatosis, <laughs> apokatostasis, apokatostasis, and means reestablished from a state of ruin. Right from the explanatory mini-study, this is the Elia message. Okay, so what are we going to be restored to? To the condition of the earth before Adam and Eve fell. Now, as I have explained many times, Genesis chapter 1 is the creation of species. The word there is bara which means to create. So all species were created in Genesis chapter 1. The Adamic species was given dominion toward the end of Genesis chapter 1. So only the Adamic species will ever have dominion. We have had dominion despite all the the problems until Napoleon let the Jews out of the ghettos during the Napoleonic Wars. That's when the Edomites exerted their dominion over us. That's a very, very fateful day when Napoleon let the Jews out of the ghettos so they could continue lording over us with their international banking practices. The House of Rothschild was created by the fact that Napoleon let the Jews out of the ghettos. Okay, so restitution or reestablishment or uh, restoration is the term that we use. Foundational to this original truth being restored by Yahweh's assembly in Yahshua is the identity of the one we worship. Nothing in existence is more holy than the Father and his personal revealed name, Yahweh. Paul wrote that Yahweh has given his Son a name that is above every name, Philippians 2.9. The prophet Malachi tells us if we will not give glory unto Yahweh's name, that he would send a curse upon us. Are we not being cursed? With a sense of gravity of the sacred name, let's examine why any substitute name employing the letter J is erroneous on its face. We will look at the facts and the overwhelming evidence and carefully evaluate our findings using numerous sources revealing the truth. Much of the information we cite here is readily available in your public library or on the Internet. We urge you, this is actually written before the Internet, because I had a copy of this a pamphlet in the early 1980s. I'm surprised they haven't updated it. Much of the information we cite here is readily available in your public library or found in references you may have even at home. We urge you to look into this important issue and prove it for yourself. The letter J, a letter come lately. Among the many reasons that both Jesus and Jehovah are erroneous is the simple fact that they begin with the letter J. The most recent letter added to our English alphabet. The Savior's name could not begin with the letter J because it did not exist when he was born, not even a thousand years later. All good dictionaries and encyclopedias show that the letter J and its sound are of late origin. A chart on both the Hebrew and Greek alphabet is found on page 48 of this booklet. Take special note that there is no letter equivalent to J in either Hebrew or Greek even today, nor is there in Latin or Germanic. The, the letter J exists in German, but it's pronounced like the word ya ja, J-A-H, is pronounced ya ja, as if it were a Y. Same in Swedish, same in most European languages. They have retained the Y sound for the letter J. Here are what major references tell us about the J and its development. Encyclopedia Americana contains the following on the J. Quote, The form of J was unknown in any alphabet until the 14th century. Either symbol, J or I, used initially generally had the consonantal sound of Y as in year. Gradually, the two symbols, J and I, were differentiated, the J usually acquiring consonantal force and thus becoming regarded as a consonant, and the I becoming a vowel. It was not until 1630 that the differentiation became general in English. So that's just a differentiation. It was the Dutch printers, once the printing press was invented, who had, for their own reasons, to to, to differentiate the J and I even further. But I'll give you a perfect example. The suburb of Chicago, one of the suburbs, is called Wilmette. And on your map, it will be spelled W-I-L-M-E-T-T-E. However, if you go to Wilmette, you will see that some of the street signs are spelled like We. (laughs) I-O-U. <laughs> how does it, like the French word we, meaning yes. We, we. That's how the original Willmet city of Wilmette, was spelled. With that combination of vowels. It's three vowels, no consonant. But since the I is in the front, when you put the I sound in front, it sounds like we. we. You put the I sound first and then you follow it up with the O and the E, or U in this case. Uh, Brother Aver Kirk Kuri etymology leads to a circle and a circus. Kirka was the daughter of the sun god who trained wild animals for her circus. <laughs> I'm sure that's where the Germans got the word from, right? Because that is a German Kirka. Kirka is how the Germans because our ancestors had become paganized. They picked up these terms. You see how how this works, folks? You have to know the etymology and you have to know the history of our people to understand what's going on in the world today. Okay, so, new book of knowledge. J, the 10th letter of the English alphabet, is the youngest of the 26 letters. It is a descendant of the letter I and was not generally considered a separate letter until the 17th century. The early history of the letter J is the same as the history of the letter I. I is a descendant of the ancient Phoenician and Hebrew letter Yod and the Greek letter Iota. Random House Dictionary of the English Language says about the J, quote, the 10th letter of the English alphabet developed as a variant from I in medieval Latin and except for the preference for the J as an initial letter that is in the beginning of a word. The two were used interchangeably, both serving to represent the vowel I and the consonant Y. Later, through specialization, it became, it came to be distinguished as a separate sign, acquiring its present phonetic value under the influence of the French. Okay? Like as in du jour, the soft J that the French, the Z-H, as it's often spelled. Somehow a D... Got put in front of the ZH, and it became pronounced like a hard G or a hard J, J. But the hard G is actually G. The soft G is J. Okay, like a J. The soft G is a J. So, uh, so English has retained both pronunciations of the letter G. Okay, let's continue. The Encyclopedia Britannica. What do those Brits know? Do they know anything? 11th edition under J offers additional information. J, a letter of the alphabet, which as far as form is concerned, is only a modification of the Latin I and dates back with a separate value only to the 15th century. It was first used as a special form of initial I in in order to put it in the front of a word. Because sometimes, at the front of the word, you had the J and another I after it, which people say, what's this? How do I pronounce that? (laughs) I-I? The ordinary form being kept for use in other positions. As, however, in many cases, initial I had the consonantal value of the English Y in the Wigum, yoke. It's not a joke. It's a yoke, folks. So what language? Wigum. I-U-G-U-M. Wigum. Is that an English word? Wigum? Wigwam? That's probably where the Indians got the word from because many of the American Indians are actually Israelites who sailed to America and never came back or went back to Palestine, etc. The symbol came to be used for the value of Y, a value which it still retains in German. Ja. Jung. Jawohl. Initially, it is pronounced in English as an African J. They put the D in front of it. D-Z-H, as is done in Polish, but in Polish it's actually spelled D-Z, as in Jenic. The great majority of English words beginning with J are a foreign foreign, mostly French, origin, as jaundice, judge, etc. Funk and Wagnall's Encyclopedia, 1979 edition, volume 14, page 94, states, J, the 10th letter and 7th consonant in the English alphabet. It is the latest addition to the English script and has been inserted in the alphabet after I, from which it was developed, just as V and W follow U, the letter from which they arose. In Latin, there was no V and W. There was only a U, and the V and W became differentiated because of changes in pronunciation, just as I and J. In form, J was originally merely a variation of I. J appeared first in Roman times when it was used sometimes to indicate the long I vowel sound but was often used interchangeably with I. The Romans pronounced I as a vowel in some words, such as iter, I-T-E-R, and as a semi-vowel in others, for example, juvenis, spelled presently juvenus, but still pronounced the same, juvenis. The only difference in spelling, however, was the occasional use of a double I for the Y sound, for example, Oh, that answers how, how the double I should be pronounced, and I give an example here, for example, in Maior, which is spelled M-A-I-I-O-R, mayor, spelled presently Maior, M-A-J-O-R, which we pronounce major. In the Middle Ages, the elongated form J was used as an ornamental device, most often initially and in numeral series. Many old French manuscripts indicate the numeral four by the letter sequence I-I-I-J. I think there the J is indicative of an end to the sequence because I can see another number coming afterwards, maybe after a comma, I, 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 uh, X. Uh, So to differentiate, to make sure you understand that the J is the last in the sequence, they change it to a J with a squiggle on the bottom. The use of J as an initial lead Ultimately to its specialized use to indicate both the old semi vowel sound Y, found in German, and the new palatal consonant sound G, G, z and J, found in French, Spanish, and English. Spanish Hmm I've heard a lot of Mexicans talk. I don't hear I don't hear the J the sound much at all. Enchilada <laughs> Not until the middle of the 17th century did this usage become universal in English books. In the King James Bible of 1611, for example, the words Jesus and judge are invariably Jesus and judge. Long after the invention of printing, J thus became more than a mere calligraphic variation of I, which in Latin could be either vowel or semi-vowel. And J became restricted to a consonantal function. So, okay, now the J is strictly a consonant, and I is strictly a vowel. That's how the two letters became differentiated in speech. Continuing, quote, in English, J has the composite sound of D plus G, J, as in journal. In French, on the other hand, the J sound alone is given the letter as in jour. Du jour. German has retained the original Y sound of the Latin I consonant as in YAR, and Spanish has introduced a new sound resembling the guttural CH, "ch," as in Jerez, or as in Jesus. In Middle English, before the differentiation of I and J, the combination of GI was sometimes used to represent the J sounds, such as G-I-E-U for Jew, And in modern times, the soft G is used for the same sound as in general. Now from Webster's new universal unabridged dictionary. I wonder if it's really unabridged. I'm sure there's a lot of Jewish abridging going on here. Anyway, confirms how the J developed from the I and became a consonant only a few centuries ago. Capital J, comma, small j, ja, or ya. Noun, one, the tenth letter of the English alphabet, formerly a variant of capital I and small i. In the seventh century, 17th century, it became established as a consonant only, as in Julius, or Ulius, originally spelled Ulius, I-U-L-I-U-S, and you will find that throughout the Latin history books, They never had a letter J, and Julius Caesar was pronounced Julius Kaiser. The letter J was often used instead of the letter I, especially at the beginning of a word. This became common in the 1600s, citing World Book Encyclopedia, 1995. Medieval scribes added a tail to the second I when the two I's appeared together, because the beginning I almost always has a consonant sound, the long form J, came to be used generally for the consonant sound of the letter, as in the French word, we, the I at the beginning of those three vowels, I-O-U, we, sounds like a W. It became necessary to distinguish between the J and the I when the dictionary came into being. In the 17th century, the dictionary appearances... Uh, forced, oh, sorry, the dictionary's appearance, forced a consistent spelling. Yeah, you have to be consistent. Why, it, wouldn't it be nice if the world were consistent? This is why the Jews eliminated cursive writing so that our children couldn't even write their own names, and they introduced look-say instead of phonics so they can't even spell a letter correctly. Why do you think the Jews do this to us? It's to de-intellectualize us. It's mind control. To wipe our minds clean of intelligible speech and thought. Because if you can't spell these words correctly and pronounce these words correctly, how can you think them correctly? Owing to this close kinship with I, J was inserted immediately following I, in our English alphabet. Note the substantiating comments on the J from the Encyclopedia Americana. Quote, it is one of the few permanent additions to those alphabets made in medieval or modern times. More exactly, it was not an addition, but a differentiation from an existing letter I, which in Latin, besides being a vowel as an in index, had an, also the consonantal value of Y as in mayor, pronounced mayor, of course, in modern English. Quote, at a later state, the symbol J was used for the distinctive purpose and particularly when the I had to be written initially or in conjunction with another I, as in jig, the jig is up. (laughs) The Yig is up. The Yid, the Yid is standing fully exposed in these word studies, folks. The Yid, you see that little uh, Y guy? (laughs) The little Jew with his hands up? I didn't do it! I didn't do it! I'm innocent! Either symbol used initially generally had the consonant sound of Y, as in year. So that the Latin pronunciation of either Janarius or Janarius was as though the spelling was Janarius, with a Y. And these first two examples are spelled with an I at the beginning and a J at the beginning, but it sounds like a Y at the front. While in some words of Hebrew and other origins, such as hallelujah, not Jah, hallelujah, or yunker, J has the phonetic value of Y. We discover then that the letter J derived from the vowel letter I and originally had the same sound as the vowel I. That is why the lowercase J with the dot on top of it still has a dot over it. The letter I represents the Greek iota, which usually corresponds to the Hebrew yota, as in yes. The letter J has a Y sound, as in hallelujah, in Latin, German, and Scandinavian languages, as we found out this morning, Swedish. In Spanish, J is an aspirate having the sound of H, which is a softened version of the Hebrew ch, as in chutzpah. The J was first pronounced as the I at the time of the introduction of the printing press. This is very interesting stuff here. I'm looking at the clock. We only have about 10 minutes left. So I think I'm going to do at least a couple of shows on this because it's very important that our, we know how our language, English, developed from Hebrew, Greek, Latin, French, German, all those European languages coming under the umbrella of Anglo-Saxon. However, uh, Welsh, Gaelic, Irish, uh, what do they call it uh, in Britain? Uh, There's another term for the language of Great Britain, the early language of Great Britain. Maybe, uh, Maybe Chris in the chat room knows. But there's another general overarching term for all of the 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 dialects spoken in the British Isles, okay? They come under an umbrella term, which I can't think of right now. Anyway, the J was first pronounced as the I at the time of the introduction of the printing press. Dutch printers fostered utilizing the J, especially at the beginning of a word. The letter J eventually acquired its own sound. It was the French who gave the letter J the present sound of the soft letter G as in large or purge. In Latin, German, and other languages, the J is pronounced more like a Y with an E sound, or, you know, with E, e as in ya, you, you, you kind of slur into the word, like if it actually starts with an E sound, because ya, yeah, ya, yeah. and actually the original name Yahweh, the short version of it, was spelled E-A, ya, yeah. ya. You slur the E and the A together, E-A, But that was not our God, Yahweh. That was not the Creator God. That was simply one of the pantheon, one of the gods of their pantheons in the pagan world. So it, they did have a name, a god named Yah, spelled E A, but they did not have a god named Yahweh. Only we Hebrews ever had Yahweh. And he is our God, and we are his people, and that's the way it will remain. Okay, so let's continue. Okay, the Spanish J is more like an aspirate, as in San Jose, or as in L.A., <laughs> that stink hole called L.A., <laughs> city of angels. What kind of angels? Fallen angels. Some old European maps still show the spelling of countries like Yugoslavia with a J. Or so yet, Russia with a S-W-J-E-T. It is only in the last century that the letter J has firmly taken on the French pronunciation as in joy or journal. All right, did you hear that, folks? Only in the last century has the letter J Fully taken on the J sound. Yeah, Welsh, Gaelic. Yeah, thank you, Sussex man. But even, I don't know if Irish is classified as Jaelish. (laughs) Jaelish. They're they're trying to confuse me, Ma. Look what they've done to my song, Ma. They spelled my words differently and made, made a different sense altogether. Yes. Oh, yeah, brother. Most pagan worship sites are circular. That's correct, because "kirky" means circle, and that's why we have a three-ring circus, and not only in Hollywood, but in Washington D. Kirka, D. Churcha, Kirkia D. Kirkia. Gaelic, Welsh, and Gaelic are initial Hebrew. Those two, those two languages come fr- from Hebrew even more directly than the Anglo-Saxon languages. Although Welsh was transmitted to uh, Wales, called Cumru, by the Cimmerians, both overland and overseas. The Cimmerians are the sons and daughters of the king Amri, whom the Assyrians pronounce it Gamri with a G. They put a G in front of the letter O and for, for some reason, they couldn't pronounce Amri. They pronounce, put a G in front of it. They called him Gamri, and uh, that became softened to Kumri or Qumri, and became known in Greek as Khmerian. See? See how the languages change? If you don't know these things, you'll never put together the fact that a Kumru is, in fact, an Israelite descended from King Amri of the ten northern tribes. You would never know that. And, of course... Celtic? <laughs> no, it's not Celtic. It's Celtic. That's, all right, yes, Irish, Gaelic, also Cornish, and Breton, French. Brittonic, that's the word I was looking for, Brittonic. That's the overarching term for all of these languages, which are, in fact, derived from Hebrew. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let me get back to the article with about six minutes left. Oops, wrong site. All right, here we go. Webster's Universal Dictionary. Uh, I'm not sure if I read this. Yeah, let me read this. Webster's Universal Dictionary in 1936 reinforces the fact of the early relationship of the letter J to I. Quote As a character, it was formerly used interchangeably with I, both letters having originally the same sound and after the J sound came to be common in English, it was often written where this sound must have been pronounced. pronounced. The separation of these two letters is of comparatively recent date, being brought about through the influence of the Dutch printers and French speakers, and possibly some Eastern European speakers as well. I also have a lingering suspicion that the Spanish... Although the Spanish doesn't have the J sound, or does it? I know that the, the Hebrew Jesus is, is aspirated as a H, as a ha sound. But I think Arabic had the J sound well before the French. It might be possible that the French language was influenced by Arabic and possibly also Spanish by Arabic, because... The original pronunciation of Gog and Magog by the Arabic writers, even a thousand years ago, was Juj majuj. So it's quite possible that the J sound came to us through Arabic, not through French or Latin. But of course, the the invading Saracens and Mohammedans may have imparted their pronunciation into some of our, because they invaded our shores so often. You know, where, where do you get the word uh, crescent? <laughs> a crescent, you, know, you eat crescents with eggs and uh, bacon, right? Unless you're an Israelite. If you're a Judeo-Christian, you'll have a crescent with eggs and bacon. Well, that word crescent comes from the Arabic because the bakers of Vienna started making crescent-shaped rolls to commemorate the victory over them, over their moon god, Allah. And as we found out this morning, the uh, Hebrew word for exalted is Allah. Okay. First letter of the sacred name is Y, not J. And we only have about three minutes, so I can only get into a little bit of this. As we have shown, the J came from the letter I. The new book of knowledge shows the letter I, and hence the J as well, derived from the Hebrew Yod Y, which is the first letter of Yahweh's name, or Yod, yod vav known as the Tetragrammaton, or four letters. Hebrew is read from right to left. It is also the first letter of Yahshua's name, the letter I, yod in Hebrew carries the sound of double E, as in police. But if it comes at the beginning of a word, it sounds like a Y or a W in the old language. Y or W. The King James Version and other Bibles employ the Latinized Greek Jesus, but the facts of etymology prove that this cannot be his true name. If the King James and other Bibles are in error in calling the Savior Jesus, how did the error come about? And how can we determine exactly what the precious name is? Well, I would think that we would like to call Yahshua by the name that the apostles called him. They did not call him Jesus. So if you prefer to call him Yahshua, go for it. If you prefer to call him Jesus, that's your call. But now you know that Jesus is a contrived word (laughs) having no meaning not even in the English or Greek or Latin because it's a transliteration of the Hebrew and Aramaic Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. The fact is the first copies of the 1611 King James Bible did not use the letter J and no evidence is found to show that the letter I had the consonantal sound of J. This has been shown in the New Funk and Wagnalls Encyclopedia. Okay, folks, we'll, we'll break off here. Etymology of our language is extremely important. Pronunciation is not as important as meaning. But if you pronounce words raw, wrong, then people don't know what the hell you're talking about. Like the last time I went south when Pastor Ken Gregg had that rally in, in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, no, sorry, Knoxville, Knoxville. And this uh, so deep draw, deep draw Southern speaker was talking about a, 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 a problem in somebody's engine. And, and, he, and he said, uh, 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 carburetor, uh, uh, carburetor. I mean, he made several different words, but I can only understand one word. So we need to be consistent. We need to pronounce words correctly. Otherwise, we lose our language. Don't you think that's the object of this game? By Juno, you know who? Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. See you all next time. Bye-bye.